What the Lord has given me to preach is a message, and I've entitled it, Show Me Your Glory. And it's so beautiful that the Lord has already shown up. He's already in this room. We've already encountered the weight of his presence in worship today, and he's good. And I'm, I can't wait to share with you and talk to you about this. Uh, Mom told me a story just this morning. We were talking, <clears throat> and she st- told me the story about a preacher that they called Dad Hanks. And Dad Hanks was, um, he was a minister of the Lord, and he had a lady that attended his church, and her husband was not a believer, and he hated that she attended church. He hated the preacher, and he told his wife, he said, if that man ever comes to this, this house, I'll kill him. And so Dad Hanks went one day to visit her at her home, and when he went to the home, as Mom and Dad remembered the story that Dad Hanks told to my grandfather, that the, the husband of this wife who hated God, who hated church, who hated Christians, this man came after this, when he came into the home, he came after him with a knife. And as he raised his hand to stab Dad Hanks, God paralyzed his arm in the, in the air. And the man could not move his arm. And as his arm was paralyzed, I don't know the rest of the story, but I know that 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 day that he could not touch the man of God, he could not do anything because as he put his hand in the air, God paralyzed him and he couldn't even move. And Dad Hanks witnessed the glory of the Lord showing up in the room that day. Dad Hanks experienced the glory of the the Lord and that man who tried to kill him and God stopped him and God protected Dad Hanks through the glory of his presence, that man became a Christian. He gave his heart to the Lord. So what I want to talk to you today, and I open up with that story, I want to talk to you about what is the glory? God, Moses asked God, show me your glory. What is it? Do we understand what it means when Moses asked this question? So my text, as we would please, I know we've been standing for a long time, if you are able. If you're not, I understand. But our custom in this house is to stand for the reading of the word. If you are able, you can stand and you can read and follow along in Exodus 33, 13 through 19. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation (coughs) is your people. Sandy Pete, would you bring me a bottle of water, please? (coughs) Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. (coughs) Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not leave us from here. For how, then, can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, <clears throat> may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. In verse 19, and he said, thank you. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the anointed one that lives inside of me. And I thank you for the anointing to deliver this word today. Speak only your words and not mine, O God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Moses could have asked for anything in the world. Moses had the absolute 
presence of God standing, talking to him face to face. This is God, Elohim, the creator of the universe, standing and talking to Moses face to face. Moses didn't hear a voice in his head. Moses didn't just feel a presence of God. No, Moses was standing and having a conversation with God, just like I'm standing in this room and I'm talking to you. And in that moment, Moses could have asked for anything in the world, but instead of asking for anything in the world, Moses says, listen, I need to know you more, God. And if your presence doesn't go with us, how in the world will the rest of the world distinguish us as your people from them? How will we be separated? How will we be set apart? So God, show me your glory. This is what he asked for. If we had an audience with God, I just want to throw this out there. What would we ask God for? What would you ask God for? Would you ask God, don't, I'm not going anywhere without your presence? Would you ask God for fame or for money? Or would you ask God to solve your problems? Would you ask God to get revenge on that person that's just really bothering you? What would you ask God for if we had this kind of audience with God? But Moses doesn't ask for God to solve his problems. He needed God to solve his problems. He was the leader of a bunch of cantankerous Israelites. They were always complaining. And if anybody needed God to help him solve some problems, if anybody needed God to give him some military strategy, it was Moses. I mean, they were getting ready to go take a promised land. They were supposed to be getting ready to go out to war. You'd think he'd... You'd think, well, by the way, while I'm in here asking for your glory, can you give me a little bit of wisdom? Can you help me with this bunch of complaining, whiny people I'm having to lead? Can you help me solve some of my, some of my problems and give us a little bit of military strategy? But no. <clears throat> he says, I've got to know your ways. I need to know you more. I don't know you. He's standing, talking to him face to face, and that's not enough. I need to know you more, Moses said. Show me your glory. So what Moses was basically saying is, I need you to show me by your actions, by your character, by who you are. I need you to show me through those actions who you are. I need to know you so bad that I'm not willing to leave this wilderness, this dry place in, my, in our life, to take on the promised land without you. Moses wasn't willing to move one step without God. How many times have we gone out and made decisions without asking God first? How many times have we gotten up and went through our day without praying and getting into the word of God? Every time that we skip out on a meeting with God and getting in his presence, we're telling God, I can go on without you today, Lord. I really don't need you to go with me. But Moses gives a response. I mean, he gives a response to Moses, to his question. When Moses says, show me your glory, this is what God says in Exodus 33, 18 and 19. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So God's glory is a manifestation of his goodness and his grace and his compassion and his lordship. When God's glory steps in the room, God is basically manifesting himself and saying, hey, this is who I am. Moses understood that without God's glory, we cannot be distinguished from the rest of the world and we cannot make God's name known to the world around us if we don't walk in his glory. So what is this about the glory? How do we understand the glory? We can look to Israel's history and try to understand a little bit more about the glory. And we can see how God manifested his glory and his sovereignty over his people just by looking at the history. See, Israel was different 
from every other nation. And it wasn't their heritage and it wasn't their ancestry that made them different from every other nation. It was the glory of God that was traveling with them everywhere they went that distinguished them and set them apart from everybody else. So the glory of Israel was the abiding presence of God. And as long as the glory was with Israel, they were great. But when the glory departed from them, they failed miserably. So God used this incredibly special method to reveal his glory to to his people. It was a discernible, visible revelation of himself. A cloud could be seen in the daytime and a fire could be seen leading them at night. The glory of God was the special escort of his presence that would take them through the wilderness. And his glory was a supernatural manifestation and it gave them three things. It gave them protection. They would travel through and they had to face many dangers in the wilderness and there were beasts and there were a lot of dangers in the wilderness. And and so they had a cloud that would guide them and also they had a cloud that stood between them and Egypt, the enemy. The glory parted the Red Sea and saved them from the Egyptians following after them. It led them around the Philistines when they were not yet ready for war. They were experienced slaves. They were not trained militia yet. So the glory of the Lord led them around the Philistines so that they wouldn't have to face war before they were ready. It it protected them from fiery serpents that if they were bitten, they would get sudden death. So the glory of God, if just looking at some of Israel's history, was protection. In Psalm 3.3, it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was... um, I was young, and this was before, I had Caitlin, she was about two years old. This was before there were cell phones, because anybody in here remember before cell phones? That you remember what it was like to actually see pay phones everywhere. By the way, you notice nobody sees pay phones anymore, they just, they don't exist. But we had an old car that, my parents, by the way, are here, I'm so glad to have my parents in, t- uh, in town, love you mom and dad, and it's so good to have them with me. Um, but I was going to visit my parents, and um, it was about an hour drive from where we lived, and it was all interstate. And there was a stretch of, of, of interstate, a section going through those mountains heading towards Roanoke, Virginia, that there was several miles that there were no exits. There was, so, you know, once you pass one, you would go several miles before you would reach the next exit. And we had an old Ford Taurus, and the gas gauge was broken on the Ford Taurus. And I thought I had a full tank of gas. But I did not. So in this journey on the way to see my parents, I left really late at night. It was probably close to 11 o'clock at night. And I've got Caitlin, who's two years old, in the back seat with me, no cell phone, and I am in between this long stretch of no exits, and my car breaks down. And it's late at night. I'm young. I've got a young baby in the car with me, and I just start squalling. I just start crying. I was so scared. I was terrified because I thought, God, what am I going to do? What in the world am I going to do? Lord, I'm miles from the nearest exit. I can't you didn't think about having a phone because they didn't have them yet. There were no cell phones. So I didn't even think about, you know, oh, well, if I had a cell phone, I could call mom and dad, but that, that just, they just didn't even exist yet. And so I'm stranded and I thought to myself, well, I guess I'm just going to have to get Caitlin. I'm going to pick her up and I'm going to have to walk. I'm going to have to walk to the nearest exit. That's the only thing I know to do. So I get out of my car and I'm, I am so scared. I get Caitlin and I'm carrying her in her diaper bag and I'm crying and I'm sobbing and crying out to God. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. Caitlin is crying. Obviously, a two-year-old can sense the fear in, in, in me and her mother. And, and so Caitlin's squalling and crying. I'm squalling and crying. I'm shaking with terror. I am so afraid. 
I'm terrified, and I'm walking at 11 o'clock at night on an interstate with no help, just me and a baby. And so as I'm walking, an 18-wheeler pulls up, and it comes up to this, and pulls way up. He, I guess he drives by, and he sees, you know, wow, this is, you know, two little girls walking down the interstate at 11 o'clock at night, and he pulls over. And he, by the time his speed slows down, he's, I don't know feet, I don't know yards, I'm terrible with distance, I'm terrible with directions. He was just a long ways, but I could see him, okay? So he's way up there, and he's, he's where I can see him, and he pulls over, and I just start shaking even more, thinking, is this guy, like, who you sent me, God? Is this safe? If I get in this truck, will me and Caitlin never be seen again? Is this guy an axe murderer? I mean, can I get in the truck with this guy? I didn't know, so I just said, well, Lord, I prayed for help, and I'm still crying, I'm still shaking, Caitlin's still crying, and we're lugging away, and I'm walking towards this truck, and I was going to get in that truck, because I didn't know what else to do. Closer to the truck, and I get closer to it, I noticed it's one of those, those uh, trailers that's like shiny in silver, and I saw the reflection of blue lights spinning and flashing all of a sudden in the back of that 18-wheeler before I approached, the, before I got close enough to the truck. And I turned around and I started running back to my car. And I was going, oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. I was so relieved because there were policemen back there. So I ran up to the car and they get me in the car and they take us to the nearest gas station. They get us in there safely. And they make sure that, you know, I was able to make my phone call. And the, there was a male attendant that was working at the gas station that night. And he said, I'll keep them safe. They'll stay right here. I'll keep an eye on them until her dad can get there. And so, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, In the moment when you're terrified, you're not thinking about the conversation that you're having with two state troopers in a car. I wasn't thinking about how odd it was that there were two straight state troopers traveling together. To my knowledge, I don't think they ride buddy-buddy when they, when they work. Maybe somebody else knows more about cops. But two, two, two state troopers in a car, and they were asking me all kinds of questions, and they were talking to me, I guess trying to help calm me down. And, and they were being very kind and very nice, but it didn't occur to me that I never told them my name, but they were calling me by my name. I never told them about personal things about me, and they were asking me personal questions about my business. I'd never told them about the business I was in. And they were asking me how it was going and named my business. And I'm not thinking, right? You're, you're, you're terrified. Your nerves are just, you know, shot. And you're scared to death. You're, you know, adrenaline's kind of not hadn't come down yet, but I'm sitting there while I'm waiting on my dad to come get me. And it hits me. How did they know my name? How do they know personal things about me? How could they ask me questions about a business that I was in? And it hit me like a ton of bricks that night. In that little gas station, God sent two angels to rescue me and my baby girl sitting back there on that sound booth. And they carried us to safety. And let me tell you something, that night... God showed me his glory. He manifested himself to me. And he showed a scared little 20-year-old girl that he is God, the, our protector. He is God, my protector. And if he's got to send an angel to pick me up and carry me to safety, he will. I have never forgotten that he is God, my protector. I will never forget this.
The second thing that we can see by looking at the history of Israel is that they gave them provision. They needed food in the middle of a desert, no problem. It just manifested manna would be out every morning for them to gather. They needed water, no problem. It would just gush right out of a rock. They, uh, they needed clothes and shoes, no problem. For 40 years, their clothes never wore out and their shoes never began to wear. They, they didn't have shoes like we have. They had like little sandals. Can you imagine 40 years traipsing across the desert like that in their shoes and their clothes never, ever wore out? They wanted meat, so God sent quail. And this is what Moses said the, the morning before God sent the quail. Look at what Moses said in Exodus 16, 7. They complained and they said, oh God, we're tired of this manna you're giving us. Oh Lord, I'd like some meat. I'm tired of this Daniel fast. God, can I have some meat? I just want a juicy steak, right? This is their wine and their crying about the Daniel fast that they were on for several years. So in Exodus 16 and 7, Moses said, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. You shall see it. And in the morning, what did they see? They saw quail. They saw meat. So God showed up to Israel. And when he manifested his glory, it manifested by provision. You see, God taught me and he showed me his glory when I was 18 years old, that he is God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I was a freshman in college and we had getting near to the end of my first semester. And I was short some money. I needed a little over $2,000, and I didn't know where I was going to get it from. I knew my parents didn't have it, and I'd been praying and crying out to God and saying, God, how are, I need your help. I need your help, oh God. How am I going to pay this bill? And one day I'm in my dorm room, and I just kind of, I, I don't realize, and I don't know at this time because I'm 18 and I'm really young, I didn't realize it was the voice of the Lord that said, hey, go to the admissions office, like, now. Get up and go to the admissions office. And I'm just thinking, why would I go to the admissions office? I don't know, it's the Lord. I'm like speaking. So um, I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, shouldn't I go to the financial aid office? The financial aid office is where you go if you need money. When you're in college, you don't go to the admissions office. But anyway, I just got up not knowing what in the world, but I just said, well, let me try it. So I walk across the campus. I go to the little admissions house. I ask to speak to the admissions director, and I get right on in. And they let me in, I sit down, and I start telling them my story. And, of course, I start crying because that's just what I do. And I'm sobbing, and I'm telling them, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to go home. I'm not going to be able to come back next semester and, and go to college because I don't know how I'm going to come up with this 2000 and some odd dollars. And he just kind of was looking at me kind of funny. And, you know, and he just this perplexed, perplexed look on his face. And he looks at me, and he says, well, I just got a phone call before you walked in here. And someone donated a scholarship for any needy student. And it was in the same amount of what I was short. <laughs> and God showed a scared little 18-year-old girl. He showed me his glory that day. And he showed me that I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. And I have never forgotten that when he manifest his glory, he was telling me, this is another side of my character. You can trust me. I'll provide for you. This is a side of my character. I'm going to show you my glory. I'll protect you. You can trust me. I'll keep you safe. Another thing that we can see when God manifested his glory to the Israelites was progress. Israel was, they were instructed to remain under the cloud of glory. When it moved, they were to move with it. When it remained still, they were supposed to remain still and they were supposed to wait. So as long as they stayed under the cloud, that they were advancing toward the promised land. When they were with God and they were abiding in his presence and they were staying with the glory and following the glory, they were moving towards the promised land. One of the most difficult things that we will ever have to do is just abide. 
When the glory stops, we want to keep moving. We think we're, go- we're doing well in ministry as long as we're moving. When we're standing still, we get impatient. Bridge of Hope, did it ever occur to you that God had us abiding and has us abiding right here until his glory moves us to our promised land? We've got to understand that God doesn't call us to take the church forward. He just calls us to abide under his glory, to abide in his presence. And when the glory stops, for God's sakes, we need to stop. If you're under the glory cloud, even if you're temporarily standing, don't believe in the lie of the enemy that you're not progressing because you are. When you're temporarily standing and you're under the glory of God, you're still progressing because you're abiding. You may think that you're standing still here in Harrison at 3 o'clock with no building on our own, but we are abiding in the glory. God is progressing us. We have had a $1.82 million turnaround in, in our finances in this church. We have seen souls saved since we've been out here in Harrison. We have seen people baptized. We have seen people uh, join the dream team and begin to serve. We have gotten more people into the purple book doing discipleship, one-on-one mentorship since we've been in this building than we have in our entire eight years of ministry here. We just need to abide in the glory. And when the glory says move, we'll move. But until the glory says for us to move out of this place, out of Harrison at 3 p.m. on Sunday, until he says move, we're going to stay right here and we're not going to complain about our wilderness circumstances because we're going to be content to just sit and abide in his glory. And when it moves, we'll move. But if it doesn't move, we will not go without the glory. So that was just the introduction. Oh, 22 minutes, oh my Lord. Point number one is this. Do you know that God's original intent was for mankind to display his glory? So I've just spent a little bit of time telling you some of what it means, the glory of God. It's, it's a, there's a lot more, but God's original intent was for us to display his glory. So point number one is God desires to give us his glory. He gave it to Adam. The glory that he gave Adam, this glory is a position of rank and privilege. And he gave it to mankind from the very beginning in Psalm 8, 4 through 6. It says, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet. Wow, what a powerful statement. God's original intent was for us to rule over the works of his creation. It's the dominion mandate. Why did he want to give mankind his glory? So that we would display his glory to the world around us. God also promised his glory to Israel in Zechariah 2.5. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her. I will be the glory in our midst. And do you know that Jesus prayed for us and he gave us the same glory that God gave Jesus Christ? In John 17 is this beautiful prayer that, that Jesus prayed over the disciples and over us. And he said in 17 verses 22 and 23, the glory, this is what he's praying, which you, talking to God, have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. 
The glory of the Lord is for us. Jesus gave us the glory. And you say, well, Holly, he was praying that prayer about the disciples. Really? In John 17 and 20, just two verses before, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me. God's glory, God intended for us to display. He wants us to have his glory. He crowned Adam with it. He intended for Adam to have it. He gave it to Israel. Jesus prayed a prayer for us. And Jesus said with his own words out of his own mouth, I have given them my glory. And not just those who are with me, but also to those who will believe. So God gave it again to Israel. Adam lost the glory with, by committing treason. And God gave it back again to Israel because of his covenant that he made with Abraham. But the nation of Israel, they couldn't live up to the standard of righteousness and holiness required to keep the glory of God in their midst. So point number two is that sin causes us to lose God's glory. When the religious life of Israel was in order and they were doing the things they were supposed to do, the glory of God was in their midst and it would remain. But when they began to compromise and sin, the glory departed from them. In Psalm 106, 19 and 20, it says, They made a calf in Horeb and they worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. You see, that's what Satan does to us. He deceives us and he entices us to exchange our glory that God gave us that Jesus prayed and said he gave us and prayed for us to have. And Satan entices us to take our glory and exchange it for shameful things. You know, we look at Israel and say, wow, what were they thinking? They went and made a, an image of a calf that eats grass, an ox that eats grass. What were they thinking? But you know, we do the very same thing that Israel did. Satan entices us and he dangles wrong relationships in front of us. And we exchange our glory for an imitation of a better relationship that he had for us. Satan entices us with the high of having sex outside of marriage or pornography, the high of drugs or the high of getting drunk. And we exchange our glory for the high of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Satan entices us with money or power or popularity or fame and we exchange our glory for a cheap imitation of the power and fame and glory of God. You see, the glory of God is not tolerant. It is because he's a holy God. We've been singing, singing about his holiness. He's a holy God and so his glory is not tolerant. Eli was a priest of Israel. Once again, we can look to Israel's history. And Eli uh, knew that his sons were committing horrible acts of sins in the temple. And as they were sitting in the temple, Eli turned a blind eye to it. He did not rebuke his sons. He did not correct them. And as a result, Israel went into a battle with the Philistines and they lost the ark of God. His sons both died in the, in the war that day. And when Eli heard the news about his son's death, Eli fell over and broke his neck when he heard that his sons had died and that the ark of God had been taken away and they had lost the glory. And when Eli's daughter-in-law, who is pregnant, hears the same news, she goes into labor. She has a son. And on her deathbed, as she's dying, she names her son Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory has departed. Because of sin, Israel lost the glory of God. The glory will not stay. We cannot keep God's glory and we cannot manifest his glory to the world around us if we have sin in our lives. Are you willing to trade out his glory for a statue that eats grass? 
Are you willing to go without his presence? Do you go places where God cannot go? Do you tolerate sin when you should not? Would you take that job even if God said not to? Would you stay in that relationship even though God said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Would you choose to skip church when God said, don't forsake the assembling together of one another? Do you hold grudges and walk in unforgiveness? Is there sin in your life that has caused the glory of God to be departed from your life? Yeah, that's a heavy question. We don't like to hear this kind of stuff in church, but here's the good news. Jesus Christ came and he restored all that had been lost to us. What mankind could not do, Jesus Christ made possible through his crucifixion. In the darkest hour of human history, the glory of God demonstrated its preeminence even through the cloud of man's sin. The veil was ripped into, an earthquake hit the earth, and they opened up the earth, and bodies of the saints began to come up out of the grave and they began to walk the streets of Jerusalem. There was more glory in the old rugged cross than there was in the glory that was shown on the day of creation. And even though the cross reflects shame, the cross also reflects glory. The shame was that the innocent had to die. The glory is that us guilty are set free. The shame was that the painful stripes had to go on his back. The glory is that by his stripes we are healed. The shame was that sinless blood was poured out the glory is that our sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Believing in Jesus Christ is the answer to seeing the glory of God. What Adam lost and what Israel could not keep, Jesus Christ gave us back. God gave us back the glory through the abiding power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In John 17, Jesus praying in this same prayer, verses 4 through 7, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name. Jesus starts with saying, I glorified you on the earth. I How I have manifested your name. Now they've come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Jesus Christ was the fullness of God demonstrated. Jesus Christ was the perfect manifestation of the glory of God. You see, Moses and Israel saw the glory of God manifested outwardly through a cloud and through fire. But better than a cloud and a fire is God's glory seen through the life and the actions of Jesus Christ. Everywhere he went, he demonstrated the glory of God through himself. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He fed thousands. He rebuked the winds and he calmed the sea. He cast out demons and he rebuked the hypocrites. He forgave the worst of sinners. So when the glory of God showed up in the life of Jesus Christ, mankind witnessed his might, they witnessed his power, they witnessed his supremacy, they witnessed his compassion, they witnessed his grace, they witnessed his goodness, his lordship, his manifested glory was through Jesus Christ was God showing up and saying, this is who I am. I am compassion. I am the healer. I am provider. I am your progress. I am your protector. I am, I am, I am, I am anything that you need. I'm going to manifest my glory. I'm going to back up my words with some actions. So 
Sarah and them, they call me a nerd. They think I'm a nerd. I really don't think I'm a nerd, but I looked up the Hebrew translation. The glory is translated in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And it's also, I looked up the Greek word that is translated glory in the New Testament. Because the Old Testament is Hebrew, the New Testament is Greek. So I went to my Vines Dictionary. And here's the definition of the word glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It is a great physical weight or quantity of a thing. It's not just heavy, but a heavy imposing quantity. Leave that up for just a second. Don't take that down yet. It's a heavy weight. Do you realize that that's when he crowned Adam with glory and majesty? That he gave, when he gave Adam his glory, that he gave Adam the weight of all of his authority, the weight and the power of Adam had the weight of heaven backing up his words. That's why when Adam went around and he named something a lion, it became a lion. When he named it a bear, it became a bear. And do you know Jesus Christ gave us that same authority, that same glory? Jesus said, I have given them who believe in me my glory. We carry the same weight of heaven behind our words, but the problem is we don't believe it, so we don't walk in it. This weight is also something that can be felt in a corporate service when there's unity and worship in the atmosphere. It may overwhelm you with conviction. The weight of the glory that we felt in this room during worship today, if you're in this room and you felt like you just needed to drop to your knees and weep, you responded to the weight of the glory of the, of, of the Lord. If you felt like you needed to run, you're not ready to repent and get right with God yet. Because the weight of the presence of God will either cause you to respond with repentance or it'll make you run. And that's why we see people that come into this church and they'll come for a few Sundays and then the conviction will hit and they don't ever want to come back. Because they're not ready to surrender to his lordship. They love that Jesus is savior. Oh yes, God saved me. But don't, don't ask me to make you the lord of my life. Because then now I've got to surrender and clean the sin out of my life. And people don't want to get rid of their sin sometimes. It's a weight. Smith Wigglesworth. <clears throat> I read, once again, Sarah calls me a nerd. She says I'm such a nerd, but I was reading, I read so many of the works of Smith Wigglesworth. He was a great minister. And one of the stories he was telling in one of the books that I read of his was that um, he stepped onto a train car traveling by train back in the 1800s. And, and when he got on the train car, he sat down and he said, the man that sat beside him just started to cry out and he starts hollering out and then all of a sudden he starts crying and he drops to his knees and he starts repenting and Smith Wigglesworth led him to the Lord right there on the train and he said before he even got to his next stop that the whole train car began to cry out and every person repented on that train and Smith Wigglesworth said he didn't say a word all he did was carry the glory of God with him everywhere he went, and he stepped on a train, and every unbeliever on that train felt the, the weight of the glory of God, and they all repented, and the entire car in that moment got saved and gave their heart to Jesus Christ. When is the last time someone's life was changed because they were around you? This glory means it's wealth, kabod. It means a significant and positive reputation to honor imposing presence or position, fullness of things, sovereignty, self-rule, excellence, majesty. God's majesty was expressed in Israel's deliverance through the Red Sea. Kabod can emphasize the position of an individual within the sphere in which he lives. Now the Greek word doxa, I'm going to show you the definition according to the vines. Doxa is 
the honor resulting from a good opinion, expectation, judgment, opinion, estimation in which one is held, repute, good opinion, reputation, praise, honor, visible brightness, that which radiates from God's presence, a manifested as manifested in the pillar of cloud and in the holy of holies. The nature and acts of God in manifestation, his attributes, character, and power revealed. It is interesting to me that the glory of God has to do with his reputation and his honor. So our lifestyle is supposed to cause people to form a good opinion about God. That's what this means. So point number three is we are to be an exhibition of God's glory. God desires, point number one, was to give us his glory. Number two, sin causes us to lose God's glory. But point number three, we are to be an exhibition of his glory. Do you know what an exhibition is? I've gone to exhibits before when the, the, uh, the exhibition of the, uh, Egypt was here in Cincinnati. We went, and you go in, and you see all the artifacts, and it's a display, and we saw the Sphinx, and you get to read up about the history of the Egyptians, and you, you get to learn about their culture and who they were. And when you leave, you've seen an exhibition that teaches you everything about the culture and the life of Egypt. God wants us everywhere we go to show everyone everything about his culture, his, his attributes, his power, his character, and about who he is. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We can see and reflect it. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him, and we are changed into his glorious image. We are supposed to not only see this glory, but we're supposed to reflect this glory. We're supposed to look like the glorious image of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? We are supposed to do what Jesus Christ did. Because Jesus himself said, greater works will you do than I did. We're supposed to do what Jesus did. That's why Jesus prayed for us in John 17, and he gave us the same glory that God gave him. Colossians 1:27 to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants the world to see Christ in you, the hope of Israel. Moses and Israel, they had an external manifestation of the glory through a cloud and by fire. But we have an indwelling manifestation of the fire of the Holy Spirit. The glory is no longer outward. The glory is now inward inside of us. Romans 8 and 11 says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and dwells inside of you and inside of me. God wants us to be an exhibition of his glory. He wants us to show the world his reputation, his honor. He wants us to honor him by showing the world who he is. So how do people feel about God and what do they think about him after they've spent time with you? Were they uplifted and encouraged? Did they walk away from that dinner with you thinking about the goodness and the compassion and the grace of God or do they walk away having a negative opinion about the person you complained about the whole time? Does your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend view God as holy because of how you treat them? Do your children see God as a good God, a good father because of how you treat them? Would your family say you act one way at church, but you're a completely different person when you're not around church? 
Do people feel the presence of God when they get around you and me? Are you full of his spirit? Do you show kindness and patience and mercy? Or are you selfish and unkind? You see, we either glorify Satan with our life or God. Our lifestyle, our actions, our words as believers are supposed to show the world who God is. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why are they enemies? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. What kind of reputation are we giving God with our lifestyle? What opinions are your coworkers or your family or your friends forming about God because of the way you act when you're around them? Do your social posts bring God glory or do your social posts bring him shame? You see, when we profess to be a believer and we still act like the world, we rob God of his glory. We dishonor his reputation and we bring shame upon ourselves and the Bible says we then become enemies of the cross of Christ. God takes his reputation seriously because he's holy. So when we continue to live in sin, we continue to do the things we should not do, we dishonor God, we dishonor his character, we dishonor his name, we bring shame to the cross of Christ. What kind of opinions do the people closest to you form about God because of you? I know this is heavy. This is not what, what we like to hear. But Haley, I'll tell a story about Haley. She was everywhere, everywhere that we go and she, to meet people. We went to college and like when we, we went to her graduation from military. We had so many people coming up to us saying, wow, Haley made such an impact in my life. Haley prayed for me. Haley was there for me. Haley did this for me. And, and they'll just go on and on and on. And then we go to her graduation at college, and her professor of her department that she graduated from said, Haley made a profound impact in my life. Because Haley made a profound impact on my life, and not just on my life, but on the entire department. She had no idea the days, because he was sickness, and she had no idea the day she would walk up to him and she'd say, I just want to share a scripture with you and I need to pray for you. And she would text scriptures. She would walk up to him and she would pray for him. And he said they were always at the right moment. It was the right scripture. It was exactly what he needed to hear. And the whole department was impacted because Haley Howard, and I'm not just bragging about my daughter. I'm standing here saying she lives a life that we don't see people live. If you know the child, you know she'll have a profound impact on your life because she carries the glory of God everywhere she goes. She is selfless. She doesn't prefer herself. She'll lay down her life for a friend. If she doesn't feel like it, she'll stop even though she doesn't want to and pray for a stranger. If God says so, I have stood in, in a grocery store. I've been with the child and I've watched her stop and pray for cashiers. I've watched her stop shopping and go over and grab a total stranger and say, I need to pray for you. I feel like God wants me to share something with you. And she ministers and carries the glory of God everywhere she goes. And what she did, she gave God a fabulous reputation because she showed the professor and her entire department that God is a God who sees what we go through. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of kindness. 
God's glory is in essence the nature and acts of himself in manifestation. His attributes, his character, his power revealed. You see, when we lay hands on somebody and we pray for them and they're healed, that's God's glory manifesting, showing them that he is God, our healer. I was at a football field and I was working at a school and we had the class out on the football field and a little boy was sitting on a bench and he wasn't playing. I said, why aren't you playing? He said, I've tripped over a book bag on the way out here and I sprained my ankle and I got a foot, I play on the football team. We've got a football game tonight and I can't even walk. And so I began to share some scriptures with him. And I said, let me tell you what the Bible says about healing. And I began to work with him and see, build up his faith and share scriptures about his faith. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes. I laid hands. I got on my knees on the, on a, in a public school on a football field. And I laid my hands on him and I began to pray for him. And I prayed for his ankle. And then I got up and I said, all right, come on. We're gonna, we're, God says that when we ask him, if we believe that we receive the things that we, we know he heard us. And then we, if we ask him anything and we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petition which we have asked of him. So we're going to give God thanks, get up, and let's get walking. So he got up, and he's kind of hobbling, he's limping, and I said, how does it feel? He said, oh, it still hurts. I said, all right, let's pray again. I got down, I shared a couple more scriptures with him. I laid hands on him, and we prayed again. And I said, all right, let's get up, let's walk. And this time he was walking with less of a limp, and I said, just thank God. I want you to take your mouth. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved, but you also, that word saved does not just mean eternal salvation. That word means saved from anything, salvation, health, healing. So confess with your mouth and start thanking God because we give him thanks and we receive now whether we feel it or not. So he said, thank you, Jesus, for my ankles. I said, thank him for healing you. As you can, we were walking, and we're pacing up and down, and he's kind of limping, and before you know it, he's kind of doing this, and the limp just gets less and less, and then he was just walking. He was like this, and he's turning it, and I said, there you go. You've been healed. God just healed your ankle. And he just kind of looked down at his ankle and he looked up at me and, and he went out and he went and played. He didn't say anything. He just went out and he played in the PE the rest of the class. We got back in the building and it was time for them to leave. They changed out of their clothes. And as he was leaving the gym that day, he turned and he looked at me and he just went, thank you. God showed his glory that day. Because I wasn't afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wasn't afraid to allow God the opportunity to show his glory to the people around me. I don't care where I'm at. I don't care if I'm in a public school. I don't care if I'm in Walmart. I don't care if I'm in a restaurant. If God says and tells us to show his glory, will we go? Will we do it? Will we manifest his glory to the world around us? When we preach the word and we disciple somebody, and they're delivered from an addiction. That's God's glory manifesting, showing that he is deliverer. Every time, Bridge of Hope, we dig another well, that's God's glory manifesting to another tribe in Africa that he is God, the provider. When we send cards of encouragement, we take time to stop and pray for someone, and we give them scriptures, and we build them up in their faith. That's God's glory manifesting through us, showing them that he's a God of compassion. When we forgive people who have betrayed us and wronged us and hurt us that's God manifesting his glory through us to people that he's a God of forgiveness when we're selfless and we drop what we want to do so that we can help somebody else when we visit that person in prison when we help the sick we give a meal to the sick when we show up at a hospital and visit the sick that's God's glory being manifested through us showing the world that he is kind 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God clearly revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly revealed God's glory. 
And he is Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Dwayne, as I'm closing, will you come? You see, God desires to pour forth his glory in great abundance to those who are willing to pay the price for it, to those who want it. Are you willing to pay the price for it? The price is that you've got to get in the word. The price is that you've got to pray. The price is that you've got to repent and you've got to get sin out of your life. The price is that you may be asked to lay down your life for a friend. You may be asked to do something you don't want to do, but God says to do it anyway. You may be asked to pray for somebody in a public place. You may be asked to witness to that waiter or that waitress. You may be asked to do, I don't know, fill in the blank. Do you want it? Do you want God to show you his glory? Do we want to know God more like Moses did? You're in the presence of God now. What will you ask God for? Do you care more about clearly revealing God's glory to the world than you do anything else? What would happen if we grew in faith and started ministering to people, showing the glory of God everywhere we went? What would happen, Bridge of Hope, if we acted like we had the weight of heaven behind our words? What would happen, Bridge of Hope, if we acted like we knew that Jesus gave us the same glory that God gave him and it's inside of us? What would happen if we refused to go another day without his presence? If we we refused to start our day without spending time in him? in his word and in prayer? What would happen if we said, I will not go another day without his word. I will not start my day without time in prayer. I will not go without God. What would happen if we repented for trading his glory for shame? What would happen if we were determined to be obedient and exhibit the glory to the world around us? I'll tell you what would happen. We would see miracles signs and wonders again. Yes, they still happen. We, Bridge of Hope, if we would carry the glory, we would see revival. If we would stop exchanging our shame, our glory for shame, we would see revival. If we would get serious about the fact that we're in the last days and he's coming soon and we know people that need to know about him so we should stop keeping our mouths shut. We should start witnessing and sharing and showing and demonstrating the glory of God to everyone around us. Why are we not doing it? Why are we not seeing signs and miracles and wonders right now in this day? Are we not willing to give up that sin? Are we not willing to live a higher calling of a life of holiness because he's a holy God? Are we not willing to repent? Do you want to know him more? Do you want to know him more? He's calling. He's asking who will go. Will you go? Will you answer the call? My last scripture, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost, the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin has been atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will go for God? Will you cry out like Isaiah and say, Here I am, send me? Who will go? Who will go? Who will answer the call? Who will say, I'll do it. I'll stop living my life for myself. I won't, I won't bring the cross anymore. Shame. I'll surrender to your lordship. I'll give my life to you, oh God. Who will go? Will you go? That's my altar call. Who? Who will say, I'll go send me. I'll surrender. I'll give my life to the call. I'll display your glory, God. I'll give you a good reputation. I'll bring honor to your name with my lifestyle. Will you go? If you will go, if you say, I'll respond to that call, God, I want you to come down to the altar. We're not ashamed of God. We're not ashamed of God if you say, I'm ready to live my life like Jesus lived his life. What we've been doing, what I've been doing is not enough. There's a higher calling. He's a holy God, and he expects us to live in holiness so that we can display his glory to the world. Will you say, I'll surrender, and I'll be obedient to the call, and I'll listen to the voice of the Lord, and I'll surrender to his lordship. I'll do what he asked me to do when he asked me to do it. Will you go? Will you go? Who will go? Who will answer the call? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? I'm done. You're in his presence. What will you ask God for? Will you come? Will you say, I'll go? Who will do it? Who will be like Isaiah and say, I'm a man of unclean lips. God, get the sin out of my life. I'm ready to go. I want to display your glory to everyone around me. Who will do it? <laughs>